Bibles. Joshua chapter number 4. Well, I have enjoyed preaching through the book of Joshua, if you can't tell. Uh, up to this point, it's been wonderful. Um, I have, um, I've been really helped by it personally in my, in my study. Uh, but uh, the, the passage tonight, I found a little bit more difficult to extract a sermon from. I'm probably not supposed to tell you that, but I'm telling you that, all right? And I did work hard at it, um, and I think what, I, what we got, what we're going to look at, will be an encouragement and a help uh, to, uh, to you all tonight. Um, but um, I, I, want, I want the Word of God to speak to us. I think of 2 Timothy 3 that says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture, that means the genealogies are given by inspiration of God, and they're profitable. There isn't a passage in the Bible that isn't profitable. And what I have learned in my time of preparing sermons over the many years is that some passages are a little bit easier to write a sermon out of than others, but all the scripture that's there, there is something for us that will help us. I don't know who needs the message tonight, but I pray that it will encourage you and help you, and the Spirit of God will work Accordingly, let's stand if we can for the reading of God's word. Let's go to the end of the chapter, verse 19, and we'll read down through verse number 24. The Bible says, beginning in verse 19 of Joshua 4, And the people came out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. He spake, and he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried up from before us until we were gone over. That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty that ye may fear the Lord your God forever. Two memorials were established here in this chapter, one in the middle of the riverbed of the Jordan River and the other here at Gilgal. And they they were meant to commemorate the great work that the Lord had done in parting the Jordan River for them. The title of the sermon tonight, we'll be looking verse by verse of the book of Joshua, chapter 4. The title of the sermon is this, The Commemoration to God. Let's pray together. Lord, help us as we look at this chapter to understand these truths about memorials and their purpose and importance. And Lord God, help us tonight to, uh, Lord God, leave here with just a commitment to memorialize the many wonderful things and deeds that you do in our lives. May we pass those on to the generations to come. Lord God, help us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we saw last uh, Sunday evening how God had performed an amazing miracle for this generation of Israelites. He had parted the Red Sea for their parents, but he had parted the Jordan River on their behalf. And Joshua chapter 4 tells us the account of the rest of the miracle. Look with me down at chapter 4 verse 10. Chapter 4 verse 10. Let's read down through verse number 18. Give your mind and heart to the scriptures this evening as we read. Follow along your Bibles. The Bible says, For the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua, and the people hasted and passed over. And it came to pass when all the people were clean, passed over, that the ark of the Lord passed over, and the priests in the presence of the people and the children of Reuben And the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses spake unto them. About 40,000 prepared for war passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plain of Jericho. On that day the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord spake unto Joshua saying, command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony that they come up out of Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come ye up out of Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet 
uh, were lifted up unto the dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all the banks as they did before. So what a, what a miracle here. Uh, we read last week them entering into the river and then uh, the river parting. Well, now we know that they carried the ark to the middle of the river. They stood there in the middle of that riverbed. God had cut off the water flow uh, some miles up. And so there was a dry riverbed of rocks and they were able to million plus people march across that riverbed on dry ground. The priest stood there in the center of the riverbed the entire time. And once all the Israelites had gotten across and once they had collected the rocks for their memorial, the priests then were instructed by Joshua to leave the riverbed. Once they cleared the space where the water would flow, God unblocked the dam that he had created some miles up with his hand and the water came flowing back down right back in place where it was. What a sight to behold. Uh, with that, uh, with that uh, memorial, Joshua had instructed 12 men, one of each tribe, you can see that in chapter 3, I believe it's verse 15, uh, to pick up a stone out of the riverbed and take it with them. Then in verse 9, if you look carefully at verse 9, Joshua himself went to where the priests were standing and he built a memorial himself out of 12 stones uh, situated right by their feet. And he built that separate altar right there in the middle of the Jordan River. Now, once all this had been completed, they left uh, the uh, riverbed, as I said a moment ago, and the miracle was complete. The memorial, uh, this memorial would help remind them and the generations to come of the power and the preeminence of Jehovah God. Memorials can play quite an important role uh, in our lives. Uh, memorials can play quite, uh, uh, can show quite a bit of uh, the, the reminder of what God has done for us, to us, and through us in our lives. Memorials should be something that we take seriously. I believe that the purpose of a memorial is not for us to worship a place or worship the past, but rather remind us. Remind us of what God has done and what God can and still wants to do. Memorials are important, but memorials must be kept in their proper place. Let's look at three truths this evening out of Joshua 4 as we consider uh, this idea of the commemoration to God. Number one tonight, talking about memorials. Notice the construction of the memorials. Construction of the memorials. Um, uh, God wanted the Israelites to teach their children to keep the faith by using ceremonies, stories, and visuals. Now, I'm not much of an object illustration preacher, but occasionally I have brought object illustrations in while I have preached. Some months back, I put a picture on the screen of oxen wearing a yoke in down in the dirt. How many remember that picture up on the screen? You see how that visual brings about memories and drives home the point. Years ago, I set a table up right here on the platform. It was a different looking platform, but I had a, a cup of uh, a glass of, I believe it was soda, and I took gallons of water and poured that in and showed the purifying process of how our heart is made pure. It takes a long time to get that tint out of our heart of sin. Does anybody remember that illustration? All right, a couple of you were here to remember that illustration. I probably preached that sermon five or six years ago, yet that visual drove home a great point. The rest of you were either not here or you were sleeping. Amen? Uh, so uh, we need these reminders, and that's what this memorial was supposed to do. God wanted the Israelites to teach their children to remember Him, oftentimes using a visual. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples of this throughout the Bible. Turn back over to Exodus chapter 12. Obviously, mark your place in Joshua 4. Go over to Exodus chapter 12 with me and look with me at verse number 26. Here we see the Israelites getting ready to leave Egypt. They're preparing the Passover meal. And God tells them why he is giving them this Passover meal in verse number 26. There were many reasons, a plethora of reasons, but one of them was so that their children could be taught. There would be an object illustration given to the next generation uh, to remind them of who God was and what he would do, what he did for them. Look at verse 26, Exodus 12. And it shall come to pass 
when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service, that ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. Go over one chapter to chapter 13, and look at verse 14. Chapter 13 and verse 14, still talking about the Passover here. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this? That thou shalt say unto him, By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out from Egypt from the house of bondage. And to this day, Orthodox Jews, thousands of years later, that still celebrate the Passover, will do so with their children and tell their children the story about how God parted the Red Sea, He plagued Egypt, He uh, killed the firstborn of uh, those who would not apply the blood to the, the doorpost, and He led them out. He passed over those who had the blood applied. After He had slaughtered the firstborn, uh, He freed Israel and led them out of bondage and captivity. And to this day, this object illustration is still used to teach the, the, the Jewish children uh, about this great story we find in Exodus chapter 12 and 13. Now, uh, let me give you another one here. Turn over to Deuteronomy 6. And there are many others. Uh, the book of Psalm is littered with verses along this line of teaching your children. But let me give you another one. Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verse number 20. We find here uh, that the Torah or the Old Testament law was given in order to teach our children to do what's right. Look at verse 20 of Deuteronomy 6. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Can I put it to you this way? When your children ask you why we have so many rules to follow and why our lives seem to be far more structured and we have these testimonies, we have these statutes, we have this book that we're to follow. When your children ask you what the purpose of this is, you tell them that the God who gave us these is the same God who led us out of captivity and into Freedom, And so that we see here that God wants us to use these illustrations to teach our children so that they'll do right. Also, letter A, notice the strength to build the memorials. Go with me back to Joshua four and let's look at the first five verses of the chapter. And it came to pass Joshua four, verse one, it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan that the Lord spake in Joshua saying, this is the Lord's idea. Take you twelve men out of the people, one of every tribe a man, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe a man, and Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. So there would be the strength to build that first memorial. Look down at verse 8. Look down at verse 8. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of Jordan. As the Lord spake unto Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged and laid them down there. So that's the first memorial. Then verse 9, we see the memorial in the middle of the riverbed. Verse 9, and Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there unto this day. Now, I'm left to wonder if that memorial that Joshua constructed is still sitting there in the bottom 
of the Jordan River. We don't know exactly where it was that they crossed, and it's now covered by water and would not be seen now or ever. I find it interesting, when they go look at where the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, they can still find broken chariot wheels there in the bottom of the Red Sea, because just as God said it happened, it did. I'm wondering if that memorial isn't there. Now, I thought long and hard why... Uh, he would have constructed a memorial that no one could see. And one of the conclusions I came to in thinking on this and meditating over it is that while they couldn't see it, they knew it was there, and God could see it. God could see that memorial. Now, here they are looking at the a memorial there in Gilgal, and the parents who watched Joshua construct this memorial in the uh, riverbed of the Jordan, could say to the children, hey, there's two, one you can see and one you can't see. There's one here that points back at the memorial in the middle of the Jordan River. And there at that place, we stood on dry ground. Now it's covered in water. I am thankful for the various memorials that have been built. Have any of you here been to Washington, D.C. and seen the memorials in Washington, D.C.? Raise your hand if you've been able to do that. I meant to have pictures on the screen this evening of those memorials. I actually downloaded them to my computer and then failed to send them over to get them in the slideshow. But uh, you can look these up later if, you don't, if you've not actually been to these and seen them. But um, Washington, D.C., I have gone many times. I used to live just down the road from there. and I've gone and stood at the Lincoln Memorial. And you know what's fascinating about the Lincoln Memorial is just the construction that went into that. It is a, it is a, a just a, a, a work of architect. And uh, the men that built that Lincoln Memorial put great effort and love and care and attention into building that memorial. How about the World War II Memorial? They've got one to each state and then the names of the men who fell during World War II attributed to the 50 states that go around there and and then there's the Vietnam Memorial. The Vietnam Memorial is a shiny marble wall. And the name of each soldier that died in war is etched into the side of that. I have stood at these memorials. I have thought about the manpower to build such great feats of great architect. Uh, the beauty uh, and in many ways the sacredness, the sacredness of what they must have felt while they were assigned to build uh, these memorials and uh, the, 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 as they're constructing these, realizing getting up this morning and going to work, I am going to go build a memorial that helps remember those who fell in a war or uh, uh, it, we'll get into the Lincoln Memorial, here, uh, Lincoln Memorial here in just a moment. But the, the sacredness they must have felt of doing that, the strength to build the memorials, let her be noticed the significance of the memorials. Look down at Joshua four, look at verse six. That, and we're given the, the significance of the purpose here, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. When I was a child, I had no real appreciation for something like the World War II or Vietnam Memorial. I'm just going to tell you how probably most little children feel. Eight, nine, ten years old and younger. Uh, maybe even... Uh, Today, uh, kids in their preteens or early teen years might feel this way. Uh, I thought it was a little boring to go and look at things like a war memorial. But my parents would stand there. And with, with great heaviness, they would read the names. And they would pay homage to those who had given their lives. And I'd be running around playing and just, okay, can we move on to the next attraction? Can we move on to the next site? I... I don't really see the purpose of this. Then I grew up a little bit. And you know what I found as I matured? I found myself doing the same thing as my parents. Standing there reading names of people that I've never met. Knowing that the, the very memorial 
commemorated something that was very important. I've been to the Lincoln Memorial, I don't know how many times, but every time I walk up to the Lincoln Memorial, understand I don't go to worship Abraham Lincoln. I don't think that's the point of the Lincoln Memorial, is for us to worship a president or put a president too high on a pedestal. But do you know why I like going to the Lincoln Memorial and taking my children there? Because we can stand there and look at a man who stood up to slavery in this country and say that man helped bring an end to one of America's greatest sins. And when we look at that memorial, we can be reminded of something that we don't ever, ever want to go back to. You take down our nation's monuments and memorials and you take away our history and all of a sudden history will more likely repeat itself. The significance of the memorials. I go to the World War II Museum, or Memorial, Vietnam Memorial, and I have spent well over an hour just reading names. Just reading names. Quietly standing there, looking at the men who died, the women who died, in order to preserve our freedom. These memorials carry great importance. Listen to me, church. If we lose our memorials, we will lose our conscience as a nation. They're important. They're important. Now, when we think about memorials in terms of the Bible and uh, our church ordinances, we think of the Lord's Supper, which we'll partake of here in just a couple weeks. And when you hold that unleavened wafer in your hand and you look at that grape juice, unfermented wine, it serves as a memorial of what? Of Christ and His great sacrifice for our sins. These memorials are so important. What would happen if the Lord's Supper had not been given to us as an ordinance? I know what would happen. Our love for the Savior would grow weaker and weaker. And there's just something special about sitting in a church service with your siblings in Christ, holding that wafer in your hand, making sure you hit the reset button between you and God and you and others, taking a few minutes to have a visual in your hand. It's not the best visual, but it's the best visual we have of what Jesus did when they broke his body on that cross. And we look down at that grape juice and that little plastic cup and we realize that his blood dripped from his chin and his elbows and his, his knees and his toes. That his blood was pushed out of his face through those thorns that pierced his, his skull. We're reminded of his great sacrifice for us. The significance of the memorials. Number one, we see the construction. Number two, notice caution. Caution about memorials. Romans 1 tells us that many would worship the creation instead of the creator. Sometimes people allow something like what was constructed at Gilgal to become more like an arrow to the past or an arrow to God and, and they worship the arrow. They worship the arrow. In fact, that's what Judaism is. Judaism is the worshiping of the arrows that pointed to Christ. The tabernacle was an arrow pointing to Christ. Everything about the tabernacle, the, 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 the animal sacrifices were animals that pointed to Christ. The, the, the feasts in the Old Testament, the five types of sacrifices in the Old Testament were all arrows that pointed to Christ. Uh, this memorial, rock memorial, was meant to be an arrow that pointed to the Lord, but yet some people, uh, instead of worshiping the God to whom the arrow points, they just worship the arrow. Letter A, some worship a place. Some worship a place. Uh, the city, Gilgal, would become quite significant 
throughout Israel's history. Let's, uh, let's uh, use our Bibles this evening and look at some places where Gilgal is mentioned and see how this, this area would just become uh, significant in Israel. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 11. 1 Samuel chapter 11. Use your Bibles with me tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 11 and look with me at verse number 14. It was Gilgal where the first king of Israel would be anointed, King Saul. Look at chapter 11, verse 14. Then said Samuel to the people, Come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. And all the people went to Gilgal. And there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord and there, there Saul and the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So Gilgal was not only the place where they built this rock memorial, Gilgal became now a place where they had anointed their first king. Now hold your place in 1 Samuel 11, because I'm going to show you another verse here. But let me read for you 2 Samuel 19. You may remember the story of uh, Absalom overthrowing uh, David and David fleeing town. And this big war took place or skirmish took place between Absalom's army and David's army and Absalom would uh, be killed and the revolt would be put down. And now David's going to be brought out of hiding and back into Israel. Gilgal would be the place where Judah re would receive David after this uh, uprising of Absalom. Second Samuel 19 verse 14 says, And he, David, bowed the heart of all men of Judah, even as the heart of one man, so that they sent this word unto the king, Return thou and all thy servants. So the king returned and came to Jordan. And Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king, to conduct the king over Jordan. Now go back to 1 Samuel. Look at chapter 7. We were in chapter 11. Look at verse 7. Gilgal was included in uh, the prophet Samuel's circuit of preaching towns. He would travel around and, and minister and preach uh, uh, almost like a, uh, let's see here, a... Uh, a uh, uh, American Revolution, not American Revolution. A uh, back back before, boy, I'm I'm uh, I'm 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 mentally moving at about seventy percent speed here. Back before America was established as a nation, we were uh, colonies. All right, there there's the word colonies. And so during the colonial era, we had circuit riding preachers that would travel around and preach. And this idea came uh, out of First Samuel chapter seven. Look at verse sixteen. And he went. Speaking of Samuel, he went from year to year in circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah and judged Israel in all those places. Let's just look at a couple more here. Go with me over to Second Kings chapter number two. We see a couple of other places where uh, Gilgal is listed. Second Kings chapter two. Gilgal was the place from where Elijah would depart uh, you know, to be taken up into heaven. He would travel from Gilgal to Bethel and then from Bethel he would be carried up. Look at second Kings chapter two, verse one. It came to pass when the Lord uh, would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. So that's where he dwelt. Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. So they're dwelling in Gilgal, heading to Bethel, so he can be... Uh, uh, Translated to heaven. Look at chapter 4, 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 38. Gilgal not only was the place where they anointed their king, and not only was the place where uh, uh, Judah received David, was not only the place where Samuel traveled and judged and preached, it was not only the place where Elijah and Elisha dwelled prior to Elijah being taken up, Gilgal had a Bible college established in it. Look at chapter 4, verse 38. Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land, or a famine in the land, and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said unto his servants, Set on the great pot and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. So this place that had once held this rock monument had become a vital city in the nation. To be clear, there is nothing wrong with any of these things happening in this city. But we must be careful to remember that God is not bound to a city. He's not bound to a building. God can work and does work everywhere. Everywhere. A place may give you a sentimental feeling, 
But you must not worship your feelings. Oh, many people will not go to another part of the world to preach the gospel because they've had a spiritual experience in their hometown and they won't leave their hometown. I just want to remind you that God is not just present in Stratford. He wasn't just present in Gilgal. God was present everywhere. We must be careful about worshiping a place. Last May, I got to go back and stand at the very place where I trusted Christ as my Savior. That was a great experience. I I get emotional just thinking about standing at the very place where I had sat as a little boy and asked Christ to save me. But you know what? I don't need to continue to go to church there in order to have God at work in my life. The God who saved me as a four-year-old boy in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, is just as alive and active and present right here in Connecticut. So be careful about worshiping a place. Let her be uh, with a memorial. Some people worship a place. Let her be some people worship the past. Some people worship the past. Now, Gilgal was not just a place of geographical significance to Israel. Gilgal had become a place where they had turned this memorial into a, a, an altar where they would worship their false gods. Turn over to Hosea chapter number 4. Hosea chapter 4, and by the way, we won't look at these passages tonight, but Amos 4 and Amos 5 address this same problem with worshiping false gods in Gilgal on a false altar. Hosea 4, look at verse number 15. It says there, Though thou, Israel, play the harlot, yet let not Judah offend, and come not ye unto Gilgal, Neither go ye up to Bethaven, nor swear the Lord liveth. Hosea was rebuking Israel for playing the spiritual harlot with God. They had turned Gilgal into a place of idolatrous worship. The place that had held a memorial had now become a place of idolatry. Look at chapter 9 of the same book. Chapter 9, verse 15. And their wickedness is in Gilgal. All their wickedness is in Gilgal, rather. For there I hated them, God says. For the wickedness of their doings, I will drive them out of mine house. I will love them no more. All the princes are revolters. Look at chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 11. Hosea says here, Is there iniquity in Gilead? Surely they are vanity. They sacrifice bullocks in Gilgal. Yea, their altars are as heaps in the furrows of the field. How sad. A place that once had held a memorial to the power of their almighty God had been relegated to a city of worshiping idols who could not speak or hear. Why was Gilgal so important to them? Because of the Jordan River crossing. I praise God that we don't seem to have this culture here. Corporately. But I believe that this culture can exist in any one of your hearts individually. And we have to be careful to never let this happen here. Many churchgoers worship the past. They talk about the good old days. About when God used to work. They talk about how God was powerful at the church. They talk about how uh, there used to be giant friend days and Christmas celebrations and uh, celebrations of the resurrection and people would come and get saved and baptized. And White Oak Baptist Church, we're very blessed here because God appears evidently to still be working in our church. But I look across New England and sadly our churches are not growing. Our gospel preaching churches are not growing. They're withering. There are some exceptions to that, but many are withering and shrinking. Why? Because many people are busy looking at the past instead of looking at what God can still do in the present. Now remember, this rock memorial was supposed to be an arrow to what God did in the past so that they would be reminded of what God still wants to do today moving forward in the present. 
Just like God did it for two consecutive generations, the Red Sea generation and the Jordan River generation, God again wants to do it for you. Isaiah 59 verse 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Parents, you need, please don't, this is what I want you to get out of point two. You need to see God do some miraculous things for you along the way so that you can tell your children directly of what God has tangibly done for you. Last year, I took a trip back to Baltimore to watch a baseball game. Took my wife and my children with me. And the girls went shopping because they don't like baseball. Amen? Me and Matthew went to the game. But uh, while we were there... We rode around to some places. I think I might be getting my trips mixed up here. Me and Matthew went back a separate time. and I took Matthew to the place where uh, he had been born. I took him to uh, the place where uh, he had. Uh, we brought him home from the hospital. And then prior to that, I took him to the uh, first apartment that me and Angela lived in. And then the second apartment that uh, we lived in, that was where we brought him home from the hospital. I showed him how poor those neighborhoods were. I showed him how impoverished we were when we first got married. How many of you were like us? When you got married, you didn't have any money, but you had a lot of love. Amen? Amen. You know what I mean? You get married, you get married on love. You don't get married on money. And who needs money when you have love? And that was sort of where we were when we first got married. And we lived in some pretty poor areas there. And and I got to tell Matthew, stand him there and say, this was the place where we saw God come through for us in a mighty way. You know, a lot of parents are raising kids who worship a theoretical God because those children have parents who cannot tell them about times God did great and mighty things for them. When has God come through for you in a marvelous way? You should be able to look at your children and say, just like God came through for me, God wants to come through for you. Number three. Number three. We see clarification about the memorials. Go back to Joshua 4. Look at verse number 19. We'll finish out the sermon in Joshua chapter 4. Look at verse 19. It says, And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho and those Twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the fathers of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time, uh, in time to come, saying, and here's, the, here's the, the clarification, What mean these stones? What mean these stones? One day, your children are going to see these stones there, and they're going to say, What mean these stones? Letter A, teach your children to remember God's power. Teach your children to remember God's power. Look at verse number 22. Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Oh, these verses are powerful. Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you. Until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. Hey, one day you're going to have children who weren't there uh, to see the Jordan River parted. And they're going to turn around and say, hey, what's this pile of stones mean? What's the significance of those stones? And you're to use that as a conversation starter. You bring them over and you sit them down to those stones. And when they ask, you tell them, you say, you see these stones? Look back a couple miles that way. It's the Jordan River. Yeah, the same river that we like to go fishing in or swimming in. Hey, there's another memorial in that middle of that riverbed that Joshua put together. Yeah, the Joshua that led us across and we watched God open up this river and we walked across it during harvest season at its fullest. 
We watched God come through in some powerful ways for us. And hey, the same God that parted the Red Sea for our parents parted the Jordan River for us. And that same God that did that for us, He wants to do mighty things for you too in your generation. Hey, listen, moms and dads, we need some memorials in our life. If not actual memorials, some metaphorical memorials where we can go back and tell our kids, this is what God did for me. And that same God wants to do it mightily for you. Teach your children to remember God's power. It says there in these verses, it says um, that God dried up the, 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 uh, the river and that God had parted the Red Sea. You know, that Red Sea and that Jordan River, as I have explained over the last several weeks, is both a picture of salvation and victorious living. He's saying here, explain to your children that the same God that is mighty to save you from sin is the same God who is mighty to offer you the promised land in your life. He wants to give you victorious Christian living. Hey, teach that to your children. Letter B, we see that we're not only to teach your children to remember God's power, teach your children to reverence God's primacy. Joshua 4, look at verse 24. That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Hey, when the people of the earth see this memorial, they will fear you because I am your God. But when you see this memorial, I want you to fear me. I want you to fear me. Look back at verse 24. That ye might fear the Lord your God forever. We greatly fail the next generation when we do not teach our children to have a reverential fear of God. What does it mean to fear God? What does that mean? I think that there's a young Christian, I'll call it immature, but I don't mean immature like in a diss or a put down. Uh, When you first get saved, there is some natural immaturity that is to be expected. And as you grow in your knowledge of the Bible and your understanding of the nature and character of God, you mature in the Lord. You can be uh, mature in other areas of your life, be new to the faith and start out immature and then quickly grow to be mature. But there is an immature view of the fear of God that ought to grow into a mature fear of God. What is the immature view of the fear of God? Well, first... Fearing God begins with me being afraid that God will hurt me. God will hurt me. Oh, I did wrong. I'm going to have to deal with the punishing hand of God. I did wrong. Here he comes after me. I did wrong. The Lord's going to chasten me. I did wrong. He's going to correct me and put me back in line. Oh no, God's coming after me. I am afraid of the wrath and the hand of Almighty God. And you know what? Many Christians don't get past that point. They're constantly watching over their shoulder as if wincing, as if God's going to whack them yet again. Does God punish wrongdoing in his children? Yes or no? Yes, he does. But we need to be reminded that God, when he punishes us, punishes us out of what? Out of love. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, even as a son in whom he delighteth. Hebrews 13. I can remember being a young boy. I was fearful of my dad. I got to be careful because I know my dad's listening right now. He's told me he's been listening in on Sunday nights. Uh, But uh, my dad, I loved, just adored my dad. And I loved when he'd come home from work. Loved when he'd come home from work. In fact, we lived on a dead-end street. and, And I'd ride my bicycle up and down that street during the summertime. And I'd see his car pull onto the street, I'd hop on my bicycle and I would pedal as fast as I could to get back and run and throw my arms around him and, and, and hug him and love on him. And 
I love spending time with my dad. I still remember he'd take us once a year on a 26-mile canoe ride uh, there. Me and my brother and Whitewater. If my mom knew some of the things that happened uh, in the, that boat, uh, some of the dangerous situations we got in, she would probably freak out even right now. But, man, we made some great memories there. I had a great relationship with my dad. Still do. And loved him very much. Still do. And and I loved seeing my dad come home, but when I knew I had done something wrong, even if I didn't know for sure if he knew about it, I didn't run home to see him. I'd stayed on the other end of that dead-end street. I avoided him when I came inside because I was afraid of the confrontation. I was afraid of the punishment. You see, an immature view of God is being afraid that God is going to punish me or hurt me over my wrongdoing. You say, well, then what is the mature view of the fear of God? It's being afraid not that God's going to hurt me. Watch this. It's being afraid that I'm going to hurt God. When I was 12 years old, living in that same house, my dad had given me some yard work to do. And I got busy playing, and I didn't do it. Remember, it was dusk. The sun was going down. I can still remember my dad standing there on that back porch in that laundry room. He called my name in a way that told me I was in trouble. You know, moms and dads have a way of saying their kids' names, and the kid just knows I'm in trouble. And I remember my back of my legs began to tense up. I'm talking to Pastor Andrew about getting spaked growing up. He used the term powdered bottom syndrome. Amen. I had powdered bottom syndrome. I knew I was about to get my backside powdered. And I came heart racing, legs tense. I came running up the stairs knowing that I had not done what I had been told to do. My dad stood there. I could take you to the very spot I was standing and he was standing. I'll never forget this. Never forget this. He looked at me and he said, son, did you do what I asked you to do? My heart racing, my, my heart fearful that I'm about to get whipped. I put my head down. I said, no, I forgot. And then my dad did something worse than spanking me. He stooped his shoulders and he looked at me and he said, son, I've trained you better than this. I'm disappointed in you. Hit me right in the heart. You know, he turned around and walked inside defeated because my character had failed the level that he had trained me to be at. I had hurt my father. I had hurt him. Fearing God is when we get to a place where we do right, not because we wince at the threatening hand of God chasing us. Fearing God is doing right because we know that if we don't, we could grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We could quench the Spirit of God with our behavior. We could hurt the heart of our God and let Him down. Oh, I'm not afraid of God hurting me. I know He loves me and He won't hurt me any more than He has to to get my attention. I'm afraid of hurting my God. You know, a mature attitude about fearing God can only exist when you have a deep relationship with Him. That's the only place that comes from. You know, if I walk up to some random kid on the sidewalk and say, Hey, kid, you let me down. You know what he's going to say? I don't know you. Get out of here. I say that to my children because they let me down. It, it should hurt. You know why? I have a relationship with them. Do you have a relationship with God? And let me ask it to you this way. Are you teaching your children to have a relationship with God? Hey, hey, son. Hey, come here. Hey, hey, come here. Hey, you see this memorial right here? I remember when God did something mighty in my life. Hey, God is loyal to us. God loves us. And God wants you to love Him. Hey, let's not worship Gilgal. Let's not worship the, the, the monument, the memorial. 
Let's worship the God to whom the memorial points to. And let's love Him. And let's teach our children to do the same. That is the clarification about biblical memorials. About memorials. I want to encourage you tonight. If you have God do something great in your life. Let me encourage you to get some physical object that's a part of that and hold on to it. Hold on to that. Pull that item out and show that to the next generation and say, hey, let me show you something right here. Hey, you know what? Work at it a little bit. Have that object illustration to show your children or a Sunday school class or a bus route and say, let me hold up this item This came from a time in my life where God did something great. God is all-powerful. God is to be feared. Lord God, I pray tonight you'd help us to take what we've heard out of the sermon and be committed to raise up a generation of children that see what you did in our lives and want the same thing in their lives. And God, it's so true that We're just one generation removed from this church not existing. We're just one generation removed from the light of this church being put out. God, if we don't do our part to raise up the next generation, Lord God, we run the risk of the lighthouse in this community. We're just being shut down. Lord, may we remember what you've done in our lives. May we talk about it. May we share it. May we teach our children not to worship a place or the past, but Lord, to worship the powerful, almighty God and to fear Him. Lord God, teach us how to have a relationship with you so that we can teach our children how to do the same. There may be a parent or a grandparent here tonight that needs to get on their knees, Lord, and rekindle their fire of love for you. Oh, Lord God, may we have a fire to be able to pass on to that next generation. Thank you, Lord, for memorials. Thank you what they represent. Lord God, may we hold on to them. Lord God, may we teach the children coming up behind us to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. The altar's open. I don't know how the Lord would be speaking to you tonight, but if He is, the altar's open. I encourage you to come and bend a knee in prayer and maybe pray for the next generation coming up. Recommit to help them to fear God, to love Him with all their heart. Moms and dads, grandmothers, grandmothers, grandfathers, Sunday school teachers, those seeking to influence that next generation. Let's commit to teach our children to love God and to fear Him.